Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz here with me. We are writers over at the MichiganInsider.com, Michigan.247sports.com. We write a lot more than we podcast, uh, but we try to do this twice a week. So if you're new, welcome. Our standard post-game recap format is uh, it's actually a 247 to go with our, with our company name. We do two game balls, four lasting thoughts, maybe some opinions, and then we answer seven questions. And, of course, you can always tweet the questions at me or, or message me. Uh, find a way to get those across, and, and we'll try to answer them. Uh, we, answer, we only answer seven. So, um, But that said, if you have a question, usually we're able to get to it, either in the question or maybe in our takeaways. Uh, but, Steve, first we can start with the game ball. I will let you go first. Who, uh, lots, of, lots of defensive standouts. Who, who really impressed you the most? I mean, I, I got it for the second week in a row. Can I take Quiddy Pay? Um, matched up a lot of the game against. I don't, if, I don't know if he did he rotate back and forth. I mean, I, I know he beat Werfs on at least two of the sacks. I think that he had. Um, you know, an All American candidate. Really, you could argue. You know, as long as Alaric Jackson appeared to be fully healthy, I think he played the entire game. That Iowa's tackles are the two. That's the the best offensive tackle duo that Michigan will face probably the rest of the season at least in my opinion I think so between Wirfs and Jackson so uh, to see Quiddy come out on fire against a again maybe the best player that he'll go against one-on-one on the schedule is it's really encouraging you know that was the biggest difference I thought for Michigan yesterday was what they were able to do up front uh, defensively, it looked to- they looked night and day uh, to what they've looked looked like all season, and-, and it was one of the better offensive fronts that they'll face, particularly on the outside. So I'm going to go with Quiddy Pay. I think he kind of set the set the tone with some some really good play early, and and the defense I think kind of fed off of that, built off of it. Yeah, for mine, I mean, obviously could probably pick a lot of different people on the defense. Uh, you know, eight sacks, twelve tackles for loss, three interceptions. Uh, you know, even a, even a forced fumble. I'm going to go with just a little bit more of the eye test impression, Cam McGrone. Now, granted, he had good stats. He had a sack and a half and six tackles. And we talked about before in our preview podcast, I mentioned, you know, there's a Josh Uche. There's, you know, there's some of these freak athletes, Cam McGrone. And it's it's encouraging if you're a Michigan fan that they're in on these plays and that they are showcasing some speed and, and able to get by guys, but what matters most is is delivering. And we talked about it last week that, or maybe we might have said this off, you know, not on the show. But has there ever been a a more hyped player with one tackle than Cameron Grown? I mean, the excitement was there because of that speed and because of that playmaking ability. I think you, I think you really started to see it. And I think I think he adds, you know, don't want to do any comparisons to the All American they had last year, but I think he. He gives them a little bit of that extra, um, the extra element of playmaking on defense, and and when I when I was in Madison and watching the team, I'm I'm thinking, well, they can't go sign anybody and they can't go trade anybody, so where are they gonna find someone? And, and granted, McGrone did play against Wisconsin, but but where are they gonna find someone who can make some of these plays? And uh, you know, thinking about uh, Ohio State, for example, who's gonna Who's going to be able to stop Dobbins in the backfield? 
you know, if he's going in the flats or, or uh, a variety of plays or Justin Fields or, or any mo- mobile quarterback that they're going to face or even Maryland and Indiana have some playmakers. So what, like, where do they get this? And I think McGrone really raises the defense's ceiling a considerable amount. So, so he gets, he gets my game ball, but again, I think, I think Ambry Thomas has a nice claim to it. I think, uh, I mean, Jordan Glasgow, another two sacks for all, for all the people that didn't like how he played against Rutgers, you know, he came through. Uh, He also had nine total tackles. So lots of names, uh, but, but, I think uh, I think McGrone and Pay stood out the most to me as well. So four lasting thoughts, Steve. Uh, it's been just over 24 hours since the game ended. What is sticking out the most to you about the game and some of the key storylines? I mean, yeah, I guess we'll go offense. I, the The biggest thing for me in watching this team offensively right now, and I think it's probably the thing that concerns me the most going forward is we're, what, five games in now? I have no clue what their offensive identity is. Uh, there's, there's, mm-hmm. There doesn't look to be any bread and butter, any, you know, kind of back-to-the-well back type plays that this offense is running consistently that make me feel like that there's a foundation that there's even a foundation to build off of going forward. Everything just seems so hodgepodge piecemeal. Uh, you know, and I guess if so, if I'm a Michigan fan, I think that's what's concerning me most about the offense. When you, again, when you, you have to say it, when you talk about this unit, when they return nine starters and multiple, all big 10 capable players, both up front at receiver at quarterback, um, very concerning when you don't, yeah, there just doesn't even look like there's an identity there offensively right now. Uh, Iowa, good defense, but I, in my opinion, not a great defense, right? And they made Iowa look like a great defense yesterday. And so as great as the defense looked, and it, I think it, and I think what's encouraging about the defense is that they're going to continue to get even better. That's, a, like I said, that's a unit you can see right now is coming into their own. Because there are, like you talk about McGrone, uh, Daxon Hill made that pass breakup, led to an interception yesterday. It's a young, uber-talented, athletic group that's getting better and better. Offensively, though, you have a veteran, you know, what I would consider uber-talented as well, uh, just continues to underwhelm uh, across the board. And and I don't know what the identity is, and I think, you know, that's a, a major, major concern. You know, I, I Rutgers clearly looks more and more like a the outlier you see what maryland did to Rutgers yesterday you know mm-hmm. it's it's it is you know and that, that's i think we weren't shocked necessarily but again to see michigan perform as poorly as they did offensively it has to be the main point if you're not talking about how awesome the defense played the main point has to be right. that the offense just continues to underwhelm like heavily in my opinion fun uh glass 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 half full glass half empty deal is asking michigan fans what they thought of the game because and and i'll take the other side i i I think you're absolutely right though the offense it has been very i mean i don't know against the three teams they've played this year that are solid army 
Iowa and Wisconsin, they have 38 regulation points in 12 quarters. (laughs) That is not successful. I mean, Ohio State scored almost 38 points against what many believe to be a top five defense in Michigan State. And so it's, you know, I, I do, well, I'll, I'll table some of the offensive talk because we're, we have a lot of questions about the offense, understandably so. But I guess one thing that's sticking out to me on the other side that isn't about the offense is that I really, I really think the defense found some nastiness. You know, we talked about it with the game ball players, but it just seemed like the confidence was high. And I sat next to uh, Iowa beat writer, uh, David Eichholt during the game, and and it was just you know I was remarking to him because he was mentioning Iowa's offensive line. Just he was he was surprised at what it what it was doing, and, and I think some of it is Iowa has you know some new pieces on the interior part of the line, and and you know Nate Stanley has not looked comfortable on the road in past games, but I just feel like there was there was a little bit more of a it's an overused word in the sports world, but a little bit of, of the swag. I felt like the defense kind of found found its footing. Quiddy Pay is, I mean, keep you know, just keep an eye on him. He might end up on maybe not all American lists, but is it infeasible? I mean, he's he's putting up numbers. He's producing, as you mentioned, against against a guy many people think will be a top fifty draft pick. Whether it was Worfs or Jackson, it didn't matter which side he was on. He was facing a highly regarded O-lineman. And you're seeing you're seeing Aiden Hutchinson, Ambry Thomas, a lot of these new players, Cam McGrown. They're mixing in really, really well with with some of the some of the veterans, Kalik Hudson, Jordan Glasgow. I I don't think we ever said the defense was going to be bad this year. I, if we did, you know, I, I don't remember it. But they are exceeding expectations and I think I think they're getting actively better each week I mean quite you know suddenly suddenly you think about that Penn State game and maybe before the season you were thinking it might be of a shootout variety uh you know this is good news and bad news for Michigan but I I think other than Ohio State I think they can really handle a lot of these offenses that they're going to face the rest of the way uh because I, I think there's just that edge again you know eight sacks I don't have the stat in front of me, but I'm curious the last time that they, they had that kind of hitting hitting home havoc. Because it's one thing to create pressure. It's another you know, it's one thing to, to make the quarterback uncomfortable. It's another thing to just make his life miserable. And so so I think there's a little bit of nastiness. Steve, what's uh what's another thing that's sticking out in your brain right now? Uh I go back to a little bit about what we talked about last week is in it kind of wraps back into McGrone and Hill again, but seeing the young play that it continues to be, the, the process is starting to work out for some of these younger players. And uh, another reason why I kind of, I, I agree with you as far as, you know, that I think this defense now can, feels like it can match up with anybody going forward. I think one of the things too, that I look back at a, one of the preseason predictions I made, I think caught a little bit of, guff and I feel pretty good about it now after how they played on Saturday was that I didn't think that Michigan would miss or lose as much on the edge as as fans thought that they would Um, 
you know, you got Rashawn Gary, Chase Winovich leaving. We talked about Pay, Uche, Mike Dana. You know, what a performance from him yesterday uh, after Pay went down with the injury, I thought. You know, I thought he played an excellent, his best ball game. And then I guess the other, I guess maybe to tie it in, the interior line. I thought those guys played their best. Maybe Kemp probably played his best game in a Michigan uniform yesterday. Michael Dwumfor was awesome. Oh yeah, uh, oh yeah. A, a lot, uh, a lot of plays where the the cut lane was stemmed stemmed off. You know, the, the forced Iowa's backs back to the inside, back into the teeth of the defense. And I know we talked about you know the interior of Iowa's line. Probably you know the strength is definitely on the outside. But again, this is still a top fifteen team. Iowa uh, significantly uh, limited in being able to run the ball, especially compared to how they had done. Uh, throughout the season heading into this game. So, you know, I, I guess, I don't know, that was a really kind of rambled thought about young players and and then turning it into the defensive line. But uh, I really like what we saw about the defensive line. And it goes to show, you know, that last week the, the big thing was about Hinton and Smith, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It was way more important to continue to get Dwumfor and Kemp as many reps as possible, and I think you're starting to see the benefit of that. You know, in, in what the second best team they played all season that they they dominated up front. You know, and I think that's a really encouraging sign for them going forward. You know, we got Penn State in a couple of weeks and and past that. So, yeah, you did call your shot on on Dwum for it was big. He's <laughs> and how it was important. Yeah, to play. absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he he's he's their best interior lineman when he's healthy. Uh, he was not healthy, so you know, like I said, it's it's the the big name freshman is a lot very similar to the the backup quarterback deal, you know. Or well, how could it be? You know, and the, I they knew what they're doing with that. When those guys are ready to play, they're gonna play. They're they're hugely important to the future of the program, but the future, you know, they can't. You don't rush it. And, and, and a guy like Dwum for, like I said, way, way, way more important to the now, which is what this is all about for them. You know, all their goals are still in front of them. And it's like people, I think, still kind of fail to realize that sometimes when they're talking about the team because the offense is struggling so bad that I don't think people realize, like, every one of their goals is, is still in front of them. I mean, their schedule is rigorous enough to where, and I'm not even coming close to predicting that they'd run the table, but if by chance that they were able to, their resume is going to be one of the best in the country. So it's yeah. really about getting your the guys that you need now. And Dwumfor was at the top of that list, you know. And yeah, I mean, seeing him a hundred percent on Saturday, utterly dominant at points. I thought, uh, in on some certain drives. And then, like I said, Kemp, the same thing, blowing Iowa off the line in the middle, really negated anything they wanted to do running the football. So, uh, yeah, so. Okay, well, and I'll take my shot at the offense, so to speak. It's you, you mentioned the process is starting to work. I didn't hear a lot of offensive players mentioned in that process that you discussed. And, and to me, I think my take would be that the offense needs outliers if Michigan wants to have a chance this season. They need players. They need new players or players who have been around to – have surges like Quiddy Pay and surges like Camergrown and come out of nowhere and or or make strides from what you expected 
uh, maybe like a like an Ambry Thomas or a, or um, you know an Aiden Hutchinson. I mean, they need breakout players really badly because you know I'm sure I, I I've seen the questions. <laughs> a lot of people are are want to want to pin it on the quarterback, and there's certainly a lot to be desired at quarterback. But that's not Michigan's main problem. I, I think it's I think there's a serious execution issue across the board. I did feel like the offensive line stepped up. I mean, if you think about AJ and I mean, I was defense is probably used to doing what Michigan's defense did yesterday, if that makes sense. And so, and there were times where where they had to get the ball out quicker. They had to, you know, Shea had to go on the run to avoid a sack. But but at the same time, uh, did feel like that was maybe a step forward. But I don't know. It just seems like that. You know the the talk about the playmakers. In theory, it shouldn't matter about the scheme or, or things like that. I mean, this should be an offense that, with so many veterans, with so many talented players, so many players who, uh, we have been given the impression are future pros. I mean, I'm not I'm not an official scout. I don't know what their future holds, but you know, my understanding is that they have three receivers who could go to the NFL, you know, they have, they have a running back in Charbonnet who is obviously a couple years away from that discussion, but seems to be of that track. Shea Patterson, uh, one time was thought to be a one and done, you know, I think, I think at tight end now, granted there's some injuries there, but you know, it's, it's interesting because I, I think I go back to what John Beeline did a couple years ago where he said, you know, the team is, team is good. It will, win a bunch of games and and be all right but to win a title or to ex- meet all of the goals it needs outliers they need players to emerge and I don't know if it's freshmen right we talked about the process I don't know if it's redshirt freshmen uh, maybe it's a third year starter but yeah just really across the board I I'm trying to think who has been Michigan's best offensive player so far and it's a you know, I think you could make a case for Nico Collins, but and then I don't you know, maybe there's an offensive line stat that, that helps bear that out, but it's it's tough sledding. And I don't you know, I as just as I mentioned they'll be in a lot of games because of the defense. If they want to win those games, they need you know, who 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 has a legacy that, that gets defined this year? Who has a signature moment? Because on defense, you saw a bunch of that yesterday. Offense, well, the numbers speak for themselves. Anyway, let's pop open some questions here. Uh, let's start with Shane Majewski, um, frequent question asker, friend of the pod, as they say. Uh, he says, are you buying what Harbaugh said about the offense hitting their stride? To me, it looks like they're throwing stuff against the wall and seeing if it sticks. So I should... I. I think maybe it's worth going back and looking and seeing, did they throw stuff against the wall? Uh, no, I'm not buying him saying that. I, I think Harbaugh has a habit of keeping things... He's not going to put on negative things on the record. He's not going to stir up controversy. He's not going to call people out. Because he can do that on his own in Schembechler Hall seven days a week. You know, If he doesn't like what Gaddis called or he doesn't like how Shea played or he didn't like how um, you know someone's giving the effort someone is giving. He can say that. He can call it out without it being public. 
So to me, that was him almost, maybe not trolling, but kind of sort of trolling the fans by not giving them an answer that would satisfy them and saying, well, too bad, guys. <laughs> and and I don't know, Steve, what do you think about hitting stride? Because one thing, I, I went and reread the quote, and he did mention you know, they're avoiding the costly mistakes they had at the beginning of the season. Ten points is is not going to cut it. But if there is one area where I think they're they're pr- progressing, I think it is in avoiding mistakes, not just turnovers, mental mistakes and and blown assignments and or or you know misrun routes, things like that. So maybe he's talking about that. I just assumed he was. I didn't take even one ounce of what he said with that genuinely. I, I think that was him proving that he can handle it without making it a public thing. Steve, what do you think? Um, yeah, I think I lean more towards what you're saying. I think that last thing that you, the last part you just said about handling it in, inside, I think, you know, create as, the, as little a distraction as you can out on the outside um, for the players to deal with. I mean, yeah, it's, 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 <laughs> it's really hard to agree with him saying that they're hitting their, that they're, you know, hitting their stride or on their way to hitting their stride. Cause that's, and that goes back to like my first point is I, you watch yesterday's game and, and I, I don't see, I barely see, I guess anything. I guess you could argue they ran the ball a little bit better in between the tackles yesterday than they have, uh, you know, in some in some prior games. But even then, I think we're we're reaching a little bit. Um, you know, I don't I don't like I don't see any found I don't see that foundation like I said, and that's what I keep going back to. And I feel like if they were on their way to hitting quote hitting the stride we would be seeing more evidence of something that like you mm-hmm. know what I you got right. you, people out there who watch football probably understand what I'm trying to say there's there's just there's nothing you can count on right now for them offensively i mean there are things that we think that they should be able to count on like you know like again i think the people say about throwing the ball up to Nico Collins i mean yeah they what a quarter of their offensive output was on that one play, maybe even more than a quarter. How many are, uh, total yards they end up with yesterday? A little over two hundred. Was it even two hundred? It was. It's it, two hundred and sixty-seven, oh, okay. but a third of their passing yards. They only threw for one hundred forty-seven okay. passing so, yards. Yeah, so thirty-three percent of your passing yards are on one play to one player doing the one thing that people have been clamoring for them to do more consistently. <laughs> And then we never saw it again the rest of the game, you know. And I, I, you didn't get the impression that Iowa was playing deep, you know, like throughout the game, uh, you know. And so it's like, I just it's hard for me to believe, you know, what he's saying in that regard. Uh, at the same time, though, you talk about him trolling. I also, I actually think he gives such a little crap about what the media and the fans think. That he's the type of guy that is not saying that he did come out and said that we're not hitting our stride, we're we're, you know, not doing well. I just I also don't think he would say that for no reason. 
either. But again, I mean, at the same time, we've we watched we've watched this offense now for five games, and there's just been to me there's nothing that suggests that they're on their way to hitting their stride. It just, it does. It just looks like a, a just a hodgepodge, uh, just almost a mess, you know, without sounding too critical. But it just it I, that actually hit the question about throwing stuff against the wall and, and seeing if it sticks. That's kind of the feeling I got watching mm-hmm. the game a little bit is that, you know, like the, the, the people's Jones pass, like just stuff like it's like, you know, I don't know, just that was executed. It's you see plays like that, that are executed so poorly that just make you think if like, you know, where this is going to come from eventually, you know, cause that was executed so horribly on a play that may have worked if it had been executed properly, but it was executed so badly that it was never going to work, you know. And so, I actually mm-hmm. think this—the throwing well, the stuff against the wall and seeing if it sticks—is a not a bad, not a bad opinion or not a bad uh, metaphor, I guess, for what we're seeing from them offensively right now. Yeah, I could get on board with it. I get, yeah, that's where I'm saying. If I'm watching, I might try to see how many things they do. By the way, I just want to say uh, regarding the Peoples Jones throw play, if memory serves i believe the receiver fell and then actually david eichel pointed out to me that iowa state did the exact same play like literally the exact same play and it went for a 71 yard touchdown because they were they have a freshman uh cornerback dj johnson and they were trying to see if he could bite and try to get people's jones and so i mean you can disagree with the play call and the execution but i do see why they were tempted to try it because if they can get him to bite you know, that could be the game-breaking sure. play. Uh, but well, anyway, my point, can I just say, uh, my I'm, point with that, though, is not even that it, I'm not even saying that it wasn't a good play call can be a good play call, but if it's executed horribly, it may not have been coached well enough to make it a good play call. Does that make sense? Like, it may have been the mm-hmm. right strategic play, but you know what three guys missed their block i mean i don't know i don't remember if people's jones slipped or not but two or three guys completely whiffed on their blocks i mean it was a it just it again it just looked so sloppy that in theory it did it looked like it could have been a good play if it had been executed properly but it was executed so horribly that just didn't look they didn't even look ready to execute it you know so i don't know whatever right uh, Jer Schmidt says, has the offense been more horizontal because of Shea or Gaddis? It's hard to see the full play on TV and can't tell if there are deeper routes being called. Uh, so Jer, like like all of the, is it blank or blank? It's almost always a little bit of both, somewhere in the middle. I'm thinking it's a little bit more Shea because I do see them run deep routes. I don't know if they're effective deep routes, so that's where it could be on Gaddis. Is, is are they genuinely giving... Patterson and the Michigan offense a chance to complete a deep pass. But I also, I feel like Shea, when he's moving or when there's pressure coming, and this is smart. It's not stupid to try to get the, rid of the ball, especially if a guy's open or if you have guys who can make plays. You know, I think Ronnie Bell is, is you know, a perfect example of, oh, maybe maybe he's your one read guy. You know, if, if all of a sudden you don't have time to execute the play you wanted to execute, find him get the ball to him because odds are that he'll be open so I think it's a little bit more Shea I don't know if that's coached I don't know if that's habitual I don't know if that's 
you know, sometimes quarterbacks, after they get hit a couple times, they they don't want to get hit again, and so they kind of they change how they play the the position. But it seems like it's more Patterson to me because there are there are players who are running deep. I'd have to really get an all twenty two and really break it down to know if they were open on X play and or you know if they were running to, a route downfield to create space or to actually get open things like that. Um, you know he's not going to find every open receiver. No quarterback does. No, not even in the NFL, but it seems like there's a little bit more of a uh-oh, let's get rid of the ball mentality, which, you know, some for some quarterbacks that works. Uh, but as we've mentioned, I think it makes a lot of sense to try to find someone like Nico Collins downfield. Steve, any anything to add there? No, that was the thing. It's like I, I only get the same view. I'm usually a TV, so I don't mm-hmm. I, I don't get that view. So that's you know that's one of the things I always try to find the right rewatch to see if you can get more of an idea of that. So I, I figured that's more your. Okay, picture this: it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Side of things, I mean, my thing with Patterson is, you know, there was the one drive, you know, where he looked like he was in a little bit of a rhythm. And it's clear that he is a rhythm-based quarterback. Uh for better for mm-hmm. for better for worse and you know I, I i just i'd have to i'd have to maybe go back and watch let's say like the first two offensive drives of each game but outside of middle tennessee state I never really have gotten the sense that michigan i think has done enough to to maybe get him into a rhythm with the play calling yeah i i I'm kind of of the belief Michigan should go pass heavy to begin games and try to get him warm and get him into that that mode because they kind of have. No, that's they? what I'm wondering. That's what like... I'm wondering. I like I said, I want to go back and yeah. and you know I, I I just and also the other thing too is to to design more stuff outside of the pocket. I feel like they did that against Rutgers. I don't I'm trying to recall. There was a little bit of that yesterday, right? Uh, but I'm just not. I don't know. It's 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 weird. I'm I'm just not sure that they're also playing to his strengths, but he is yeah far from being without fault. Uh, far from it. Mm-hmm. You know, I just there's there's too yeah. much of the happy feet still, and um, you know, it was like you saw them on on the, the the actually one of the most interesting plays of the game to me was the third down, the Michigan's last possession of the game, on third down where they ran him around the edge. He looked quick. He looked totally healthy enough to run the football, yet was that what? Only his second design carry of the entire game, right? I mean, he had the he kept once on the read, mm-hmm. you know, and and I just thought that was like I, to see him come around the edge, quick, physical, and I'm you know it's like where's that been? Because you know that's we talk about going back to last year. It was actually it was against Wisconsin where the entire outlook for their offense changed in that game when he kept that ball and took it like 65, 70 yards. 
we still have not seen that on a nearly consistent enough basis to open anything up for anybody else. So that's, you know, again, and so what I'm getting at is he looked totally capable and healthy, you know, enough to run, be running the football more consistently. And I just, I don't know if it's, that's where that, that who is it, you know, is it the quarterback not keeping or is it the play calling? And that's where it's, that's kind of the catch 22 for me. So. Yep. Uh, next question. Why no throw Nico? <laughs> well put Dave turns or turns. Uh, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's a fair question. Yeah. I don't, I know there's someone on our board who did the post about uh, how Iowa played. That is not a secondary that should be able to shut down or dictate what Michigan does. Uh, I do think there's an element of, and I know Harbaugh said he didn't do this, but I think there is an element of maybe they tell Shea no risky throws, no 50-50 balls today. I don't know why you would, you know, I don't know why you'd want to change your identity, but at the same time, as you said, maybe they don't have an identity yet. Uh I think I think part of it is that he is not a short route get open kind of receiver. He is more of the big play downfield guy. But yeah, good question. I don't I don't have a have a great answer other than uh what we mentioned about the happy feet and then the scheme, uh, some of the things we said there and then maybe Collins size and and not lack of speed cuz he's still quite fast, but relative lack of speed compared to other receivers. Um, Steve, anything to add? No, I agree. The The big thing there too is, yeah, I mean, Iowa secondary is one that you should be, should be taking chances on. Well, they, like, I, like we said, the time that they did, it worked out, you know, mm-hmm. and, and uh, what's his name? Stone played a really good game for Iowa yesterday. Really good football player. He did. Yeah. He, he looked did. like a really good player, but you know, not enough, not enough of the of that type of stuff you know and I think Collins is a guy that maybe that benefits the least along with people's Jones as far as nothing nothing uh yeah too can is it too conservative I mean it's hard to believe that we'd even be saying that about a an offense that has so many players that feel like they have explosive potential um but yeah I yeah I mean they're not throwing the ball enough to a few guys, you know, in my opinion. So, mm-hmm. uh, next question. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Let's unpack it. Uh, Travis Peluski says, at what point do the coaches decide it's time to go with Dylan or Joe at QB at this point they'd have two weeks before PSU Notre Dame, then Maryland and a bye. And so it kind of reminds me of 2017. Now I, I think Shea is much, much better than John O'Corn was. And so I don't think you necessarily, I, I'm not advocating for them to make the switch. I this is a situation where I I'm under the I mean, I don't I don't think that there has been an obvious on field in game scenario where I think the backups have been better than Shea. But if you think that if you're Michigan and you don't think that you have what you can have out of Shea and you think you can you think Dylan McCaffrey, I don't think Milton, I don't I don't think at any point Milton is in the starting conversation. But if you if you think Dylan McCaffrey gives you a better chance to beat Ohio State, then I do think the sooner 
the better, technically. And I think a, a game against Illinois, as opposed to on the road against Penn State or at home against Notre Dame, uh, you got to do Illinois. Or, as, as Travis mentions, uh, the bye week in Maryland before the Michigan State game. That said, I, I, don't, I don't anticipate it happening. Uh, just hard for me. I, we, we do this quite a bit, where the, the backup is pitched as automatically better because the fans are unhappy with the starter. I don't you don't you don't think Jim Harbaugh wants to win a Big Ten title? Like if he thought Dylan McCaffrey was better now granted the concussion thing, you know, who knows? Maybe I don't who knows if that game finishes differently and McCaffrey looks good. Maybe that was his chance and it's just unfortunate. But I mean he spent how many hours evaluating the two all winter, spring and summer and, and in August? I mean they almost lost to Army. And they stuck with Shea. I mean, at some point in that game, now me, McCaffrey played a couple snaps, but I don't know. I don't know where, why this is so constant. But um, if you if you do think Dylan's better, I think it does have to be this week. Uh, if you think Shea Patterson's better, you just got to ride it out. I mean, not everyone wins a Big Ten title. You give it your best shot. And if you just don't have the quarterback, you just don't have the. You just try to try your best with the quarterback that you have. Uh, I don't know. I mean, there've been imperfect teams have won the Big Ten, and I don't know if necessarily just keep reopening, keep trying a new starter. Because I don't think I don't know, Steve. Any thoughts to add here on regarding you know when you might make the switch or? if you should make the switch. I'm thinking no on the switch, but maybe that's just me. That's one thing where and people can't kind of face the fact or face the truth in a situation like that. That's that's a situation where you, you have to trust the head coach that, that, that he's making the right decision. Because, yeah, there's no way they're not going to – hang on to Patterson as the starter if he really isn't the best option for the team. I'm sorry. It's different than not playing a second-year linebacker right off of the get-go, who, by the way, you know, we talk about McGrone played really well, especially in the second half, but again, he did what we had talked about before, very inconsistent. He made a couple huge mistakes in the first half and played a much better second half. You know, so what I'm getting at is that's as far as like roster management, depth chart type stuff. I I, I just I am always I'm always gonna side with what the head coach believes because like you said, you know we see nothing compared to what they see. One, we see nothing compared to what they see, and two, it's never gonna be a deal where the best guy isn't that they're not putting the best guy out there. You know, if if anything. How you'd handle it is if there's if that's a, if that's up in the air, let's say, who the best, you know, if it's close, then you maybe sneak a guy in for a series or two, or the leash is just a little is the leash just becomes shorter. But as far as like Saturday goes, I'll be utterly shocked if it's not Shea Patterson, you know, taking the snaps, at least to begin the game, right? So mm-hmm. you know make a shorter leash, absolutely. Right, right. Well that's what I mean, is like yeah. but that's that's 
you know, it, it's you, I have to I have to side with the coaches and, and Harbaugh in a situation like that. I think it's I actually kind of think it's absurd to think otherwise, you know, because you're effectively saying that if the coaches don't make a change or haven't made a change, that they're actively like making the team worse to, you know, that they're, they're not doing their best to try to put the best product out on the field, you know? And so I'd say, I'd say this though, the one thing I would say though, in defense of people who are clamoring for a quarterback change or whatever, we, we, you know, have hyped up that quarterback room quite a bit. In my opinion, rightfully so. Still, I mean, this is the first they 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 have really three guys. I wouldn't even I wouldn't count Patterson necessarily because he wasn't originally recruited by the staff. But with McCaffrey and Milton, you had two guys who I would argue were the number one targets. Milton, maybe a couple other guys in eighteen they really liked, but you know Milton was Pep Hamilton's number one guy. Um, you know, one entering their third year in McCaffrey and, and Milton in his second year and you have a returning starter who like we said we've said it before had one of the best most efficient seasons a Michigan quarterbacks ever had last year. So the fact that the position is underwhelming at this point combined I think with the fact that like I said we I think we went a long ways to say that this is the probably the best quarterback room in the Big 10. I know that's a statement I've made in the preseason at least 1 through 3. You know that it hasn't even come close to living up to that, people would naturally wonder, well, if the quarterback room is as good as you guys said it was, how is how on earth is the second guy in line not good enough to make the offense better than what it's been so far? So I can see it from that angle. But I, like I said, I, I think the overwhelming thought for me is that I think that, that you know, depth chart-wise and how they handle the quarterback position is something that you have to – you have to trust that the coaches are keeping the right guy in there or playing the right player at the position because there's too much to there's they're putting they'd be t- putting too much at risk to not put the best guy out there. So, you know, I don't know. That's my thought on it, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, sometimes quarterbacks do get worse. That is one position where that can happen. And as you mentioned, there is talent. Um but you know, Michigan fans have been calling for the next quarterback for eight years. I mean, I still remember when it was uh, put in, put in Gardner, put in Morris, you know, put in Spate, put in O'Corn, put in. I mean, it's it's just been going on and sure. on going. And so, I think that uh, Jay Tog has a funny question. Uh, I know this. We'll just continue the discussion, but he says, "When do fans start calling for Cade McNamara?" Um, cause right. you get, as soon as they put McCaffrey or Milton in there, and that's and that's what it comes down to is as soon as you put one of those guys in there, well then they're going to say, well the next guy must be better. And so as you point out, I mean logically speaking, would you rather ask the what you see with your eyes or what the coaches have been studying for nine months? And so I think the one thing that you do. Well, one thing to keep in mind is that if you make the change, don't expect to, you know, have a heroic comeback from Shea Patterson later on in the season. I mean, he's a senior. If if you bench him, you're basically saying you're we're not going back. And so that's why I think I don't think they're going to change the starter. 
but they might keep him on a shorter leash because the other question is, is he at his best? What is, what is Shea Patterson capable of next week? And what does that look like? And if he doesn't show it, then I think you sit him down, you know, after the game gets started and just, and then keep evaluating, keep saying, well, how, how do, how does, how does Michigan get the best that it possibly can out of the quarterback position? Is it mental? Is it physical? Is, is someone ascending? I, you know, I, I don't, again, I don't think this, this is more of a McCaffrey conversation than a Milton conversation, but both of those players are going to keep progressing or, or should be, should continue to keep progressing. So it's, I, I get where the fans get frustrated because you basically want to keep trying different quarterbacks until someone works. But I do think there is an element. I mean, the coaches, the coaches don't always know with everything, but this is a situation where, and honestly, even, even the stuff we've seen on the field, and Steve, maybe you can help me out here. McCaffrey has looked, I'd say he's looked solid. He has not looked like he offers significantly better, you know, passing ability than Shea. I don't, maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong there. No, I, I, just... I agree. I, that's, that's kind of the other thing. Um, and again, you know, with the Milton talk and, and, and like we've, I've, again, going back to myself, have been one of his biggest proponents, a lot of that based on how excited I know Michigan was to get him when they got him. He's got a lot of potential, Mm -hmm. but, you know, Rutgers, we saw, like I said, you go back, you watch what Maryland did to Rutgers yesterday. Rutgers just stinks. I don't think we can really take anything out of what Milton did outside of the fact that he's got an incredibly live arm and – you know that, and with that, I think they brings a lot of potential. But he was never a guy I think was going to be a one or first year or second year guy. He's going to take some time, and I don't mm-hmm. think making a really nice throw to Giles Jackson against Rutgers in garbage time should on a sh- broken play. Yeah, should put him in the conversation at this point. Next question. This one came. Well, it came from two people. Uh, Wolverine State said, "If the season ended today, would Gaddis be fired?" Uh, Terry Boatwright said. Uh, do you see at the rate of the offense Gaddis only staying one year? I don't know about the season ending today. That's, I mean, <laughs> I don't, I wouldn't, hard to tell, hard to tell, because it really does come down to what they do against Michigan State, Notre Dame, and Michigan. They have to, you know, can't be 6-6, six and six, but I don't know if, if, they, if they said uh, the team went 4-1 and one this year. I don't know, hard to tell. But for Terry's framing of the question, at the rate of the offense is going, I don't know. I don't. I don't really like to get into any sort of hot seat discussions until there's actually some some semblance of evidence that the that it's going to happen. But certainly is not delivering. The offense does not rank well in any category. I mean, you know, and it's it's worse than last season. And I think that's where things are. That's that's probably the most glaring thing is how on earth does the offense get worse? I mean, it, they Zach, not not worse. I mean, significantly. Like that's that's the thing we keep going back to about last year. Statistically, anyway, the offense was not that bad. Like it was a solid unit, and that's where I it think was like the thirty fifth best offense aggregate. Right. If you look at the different computer sites. Yeah. 
Not great. But, I mean, mm-hmm. what are they right now? In the 80s <laughs> or 90s? So, SP plus Bill Connolly does a great job. I think he has them at 66. Wow, that's higher than I would have even thought, to be honest with you. Yeah. But, yeah, that's a – I mean, that's that's an, that's just one, right? I mean, they, they rank poorly in statistics, but if you count for who they've played and, and maybe the non-garbage time thing, you know, it gets a little bit more analytics – but sure. still, sixty sixth. I I think it'd be hard for Michigan to look at that and with with the talent on the team, and not call it a complete failure. Hundred percent. Have to agree. I heard I saw somebody called their offense lost in space right <laughs> now. And I mean, well, it's it's kind of funny, but I I mean, really though. You know, that's what I, I – I don't know. As far as the firing thing, I mean, it's it's too early. There's, there's a lot of the season left. If they fix some things and we see some improvement, you know, maybe this all go – maybe we all laugh about this stretch. I don't believe that's going to be the case. But there is, as you said, there still is a lot of talent and a lot of experience there for them to, you know, maybe get – get things on the right track. But I think the lost in space idea is, you know, because right now if you're watching the offense, you're kind of wondering to yourself, what is, what is speed in space? Right. You know, what is it even, I don't, I don't understand. Like, what are we seeing on the field that even, you know, they're not, did they even play tempo on Saturday? <laughs> I mean, you it's, know? it's a little bit faster, but yeah, it's not, you know what I mean though? Tempo. Yeah. Yeah. So I just, uh, but as far as firing, it's it's too early for that conversation. Yeah. Like a hypothetical, when they're still four and one, you know, just it's it's too early for that talk to even like why would why would, why even I don't know why even address it. Mm-hmm. Fair enough, fair enough. Okay, so all the other questions we got were uh, repeats or, well, used words that or comments that we don't really feel like sharing on air, uh, but. Let's let's see. Let's come up with one more question. What can Michigan do next week at Illinois that will change your perception of how the season will go? So what they can't they can't beat Ohio State next week. They can't beat Penn State next week. They can't beat Notre Dame next week. But what can Michigan do to change your maybe not your mind because you're not i mean we're reporters we go we 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 see report what we see and what we hear but is there anything that michigan can do next week that not just you but also maybe the fans or the 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 others what can be done to change the perception of michigan right now um oh boy I it's put 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 some points up on the board. Mm-hmm. You know, Illinois is. I will say that at least Illinois is not Rutgers. Uh, there, you know, again, a game that Michigan should win comfortably, even on the road. But you know, st- still, this this is more of an opportunity for them, I think, to against a lesser opponent to prove some things. So it's just the same old. I mean, we know what the defense. Like I said, we're talking. We're talking here about the defense's confidence is probably at the highest point it's been all season. We're seeing guys emerge on that side of the ball. So it to me, it, it comes fully down to just what we see offensively. 
And I, I think the other thing to I, let's see him run the football at an elite level. Hmm. Yeah. You know, we we keep crapping on the quarterback and you know all that stuff, but Michigan's not running the football overly effectively. I do want to say I think the the backs, I think that was like what, 24, 25 carries for a little over 100 yards on Saturday, which is solid, but again, four returning offensive linemen. I think their backs look talented enough to be performing better and putting up better statistics than they have been. So, I don't know. I guess I guess put some points on the board and then I say run the football effectively. I think what it really I'm getting at is I'd like to see a dominant performance by the offensive line. I think that would be something that you could build off of, you know, heading into Penn State. You know, much like mm-hmm. what we saw the front four defensively do on Saturday against Iowa where we felt like, okay, that was a big step for them against a pretty darn good offensive line, particularly on the outside, you know, see if their offensive line can kind of do their part now and, and dominate an opponent that, in this case, they should dominate. But, you know, let's see, like, some legit domination up front from them and let's see them run the ball effectively. Yeah, interesting point about running the ball effectively. Illinois actually is top 40 in the country and run defense there yards you go. per carry allowed. Great test. So that would be – yeah. 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 I didn't uh, know that. But I, I'll go. I'll go a little bit more broad. I'll say that game should be over after one quarter. You know, I'll be out there. Um, if Michigan wants to continue to show that it's progressing mid-season, because it needs to progress mid-season, it wasn't a fluke that they lost thirty-five to fourteen at Wisconsin. They weren't ready to play. They weren't good enough. And so, you know, we've seen on road games before. You know, I've I've been at road games where they dinked and dunked around with Indiana or Purdue, uh, you know, going back to 2015 Minnesota. Uh, you know, they, they've looked sluggish at Maryland in 2017. I've seen, I've seen some of those games before. But the good teams, they just, they, they take care of business. And, and I think it's, I'm interested to see, does Michigan, hard to, hard to gauge in the game, but do they continue to play with that edge? You know, I wrote the column uh, on Friday. Michigan's laying it down brick by brick. Do they keep adding bricks, or does does is this the house that they have, and they're just gonna try it? And so, yeah, I think I think the only way I think you can really see that is if the game's over after a quarter, because they don't actually need a top ten offense. They sure sure would think that they do to beat Ohio State, but you know, teams teams have made it further with holes but they need a good offense <laughs> they need they need a better offense than what they have but maybe that if the defense goes out there and just completely dominates illinois well then you might be in business you might you might have something still with the, with the team so so to me it's just about aggregate team domination you know we'll talk more about specifics in our preview podcast but it's michigan needs a chest pounding win every time it goes on the road and and they really don't have very many of them to draw upon you know a couple times when, when they went to Michigan State uh, going to Rutgers but as you said Illinois is bad they are not Rutgers it's a, it's a different kind of I mean it's a different kind of deal and so so yeah 
if, if, if a fan had asked, you know, what, what can Michigan show that would change my, you know, kind of what I'm projecting, I think I see the team as an 8-4 and four team. Well, if they want to be eight, better than 8-4, and four, they will make Illinois look like they're on the wrong field. So, uh, for that, for Steve Lorenz, I'm Zach Shaw. Check out all of our stories over at themichiganinsider.com, michigan.247sports.com. Uh, hope you had fun. Hope you learned something. We'll talk to you later this week uh, as we break down Michigan's next game and take on the fight. Tomorrow.